Welcome to episode two of the My Warped Life podcast. I'm sitting here with my friend Tony Alarato. What's happening? How you been, Tony? I'm good. I'm good. This weekend, my wife put me to work. She made me sand and repaint, and I'm exhausted and achy and tired, but I feel super macho. Well, that's good to hear. And um, I was out in the desert visiting some friends, you know, just traveling around in the van. And it was a nice time catching up with people, you know. Not so hot out there right now. No, I got to catch up with my friend Paul Tillette, you know, who started Coachella and went up to the high desert with a a good friend of mine, uh, uh, Steve Jones, who was in a band called The Unforgiven, went on to be a jouster in the... uh, in the medieval times and at the, <laughs> at the Renaissance fairs. Oh, that's awesome. I love he's that. He's been a stuntman and he's been uh, working on many uh, reality that's television great. shows. So this episode, episode two, we talked a little bit in the first episode. The food kept coming up or lack thereof food, <laughs> which naturally led me to think about this next episode, how we should kind of expand on that. And what would be expanding on this episode without featuring my good friend, Shelly Lynn Brandler. Uh, Shelly was the founder of Tadoc Catering. And we're going to learn a lot about her in this episode. Um, we're going to bring something else up with this episode that was kind of legendary. Um, and uh, Eileen Groby, who was working with me on sponsorships and marketing on that tour. And we're inviting our first artist onto the show outside of uh, the first episode, uh, Fletcher Drag, the famous Fletcher, <laughs> which uh, we'll probably have episodes on him. I was thinking there might be a whole season on Fletcher. No, there should be, because I, I got clips of this interview, and I'm like, oh, my God. And then we're including uh, an interview. As I said, we like to we talk about charities or people that give back. And uh, we came, I came across this guy named Robert Arnoff, and we're going to talk about his journey and how he's uh, stepped up to help bands as they tour and hit the road. So are about ready to get into this uh, episode, yeah, too. I, I mean, it's great that you brought this one up. And I know it doesn't seem like it's important, but it's so important. This episode about food. Food changes people's attitudes in life. If you have good food... Things are good if you have bad food. And it looks like we've both bad. eaten a few good bit of good food yeah, over yeah. this over the pandemic here, Tony. I know we've talked about both having to get in shape if we're going to videotape yeah, this thing. The pandemic has not been good for me. No, life. it's it's not me either. I've been eating uh, very well at home. So, well, let's get into this first part of this uh, uh, thing. You know, Shelly Lynn, I've actually known since she was 17 years old. Uh, she grew up out in Laverne, and I was growing up in Claremont, and uh, she would tend to drift to parties that she probably shouldn't have been at. And I know that was. <laughs> and then, you know, later on in life, I'd get a call from her mother going, uh, is Shelly over there doing her homework at your house? And I'm like, uh, that's a trick question. And it was Shelly was off in Hollywood uh, dancing at some of the the clubs around L.A. and hanging out in L.A. And then sometimes she'd be coming and knocking on my window going, hey, 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 can you can I crash here and tell my mom that I fell asleep while I was doing my yeah. homework? But um Shelly and me grew up, and we and I, when I, as I started working at events and shows, Shelly started working as a PA. To go back in time a little bit, uh, in the 90s, I was uh, first a, a runner and a PA for you, and we had a lot of fun. And I don't remember what year, but it was like early to mid-90s, you, Kevin, got a job with Lollapalooza. And I was, yeah. at that time, working a lot of jobs for you, all over LA um, running or being a PA for the punk shows mostly that came into LA at that time. 
and you were going to go on tour with Lollapalooza. And I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do? Because I, although I was, I had a lot of side hustles working, I definitely was counting on, you know, working. I mean, at that point, I mean, at least six gigs a month with you. So it was a pretty good little steady hustle. And um, I found myself getting a job at Woodstock in New York. And then I ran into you there at Woodstock in New York and you were with Porno for Pyros. Yeah, I forgot. That's right. I flew up there. We flew up. We were out on Lollapalooza and we flew up to do the event yeah. and cross paths on that muddy day, that muddy rainy day, Completely. if I remember correctly. And you were really <laughs> stoked and you, and I was doing press. I, I, I landed a job doing um, international press they were overran and they needed some extra help. And it was a fun little gig for me. I didn't start off going there to do press. Do you remember you got me a job with the caterer that used to hire oh. in LA? The brother. Oh, yeah. Ch and then Chuck and Terry. Yeah, and I got fired. <laughs> <laughs> Shelly liked to work. Shelly was, you know, there, it's, it's, she was a great worker. Right. And, and, and we really, we weren't partying. I mean, we, we were, we were working, like I said, 320 shows a year, you know, and, and Shelly was, you know, her job pretty much was like the band needs guitar strings, drive to Guitar Center. Uh, band needs component. Well, you, she drive to Fry's, which sadly I just heard went out of business. Yes, and I'm like, did. so many people, that like, that's where we fan. got all those little things right, that you could never sure. find in a second. You couldn't, you know, Amazon, great. They had everything. Fry's, you could fix anything and that's have a right. show that night. So I worry about that in some ways. Like, that's where we used to get things. Uh, and then, you know, as, as we went, you know, it was interesting because, you know, we, we mentioned Chuck and Terry here. They also switched over to be some of the first time we toured with catering on Warp Tour. And they used to travel around in this truck. And I'd give them like $10,000 a day to feed us. But their truck needed like $4,000 a day, $5,000 worth of day of equipment. So, <laughs> so what did you eat then? Well, I... for. For a long time, I, th I thought salad only consisted of iceberg lettuce. Yes, it without does. Iceberg, nothing. That's was, it, iceberg. Uh, you know, I don't know any other like, lettuce that's out One there. day, like a tomato ended up in there. No, sure. but nothing. You know, we're, we're talking iceberg. We're not talking like iceberg with peppers and cucumber. It was iceberg. Right. And that was the dinner. Uh, my wife would come out and she would like, oh, this is so good. And I go, well, we've had that for five days. It was like a slice of bread with like some chipped beef and, and cheese on it. She likes nacho cheese. And she goes, this is so good. And I go, that's probably the fifth night we've had that in a row. So how, how does this lead? Obviously, I can see the tendencies of not being happy. But how did she, going from doing promotions and, and runner, well, how did they get well, there? Let's, get, let's check out what uh, Shelly had to say about this. So we were, we were starving backstage and just, it was a good day if you got a stale bagel at catering <laughs> and it was far and few in between good meals. And, um, I really had, uh, the big idea to God, if I could just even start a catering company, I could do better than what I'm seeing here. No, it's interesting. I mean, she, she immediately saw that it was bad. What were you doing to your people, Kevin? Well, you know, it was we were trying to figure it out because Warp was always a lot of people, and catering budgets on a normal show can get very big very quickly. Right. So we, we were trying to manage this, and, and you know, Chuck and Terry, I, I, I give was them props. Was this the first year? No, first year we didn't have it. That's when we had nothing. Second year and third year, we, we kind of brought Chuck and Terry. Right. And, and Shelly had come back to start working, you know, with was, was working out there. 
And she started to identify and, and she actually started to do some uh, local catering. I started throwing parties and I started getting really into uh, food and the people that would come back uh, to my parties would say, wow, you're like the urban Martha Stewart. And my only background in food really was working as a waitress, but I had a flair for making things look good. And I had a girlfriend who loved to cook like a home cook. So her and I would get together and, you know, everything from making our own salad dressings to making our own bread and throw these parties and people just kept saying over and over how good we were. So then in 1998, I had before 1999 tour, you were off tour. I came to visit you in your Claremont offices. And I somehow, God bless you, Kevin. I, I, I feel like I talked you into giving me a shot to cater in 1999 with my girlfriend. Ah, now, now the truth is, she probably came to you and she perceives it as really trying to talk you into letting her do it where you're thinking, I'm not going to pay for this goddamn truck anymore. Let's let the girl have a chance. Well, at that point, it was I had to do something. <laughs> it was I had to try anything. So, you know, letting, why not? Shelly's a friend. I know she's going to work hard. She's going to give it all. So, you know, I said, sure. Like, you know, sometimes I'm busy what and I go, go sure. Wrong? Yeah, at this point, what could go wrong? And, um, you know, it looks like it turned out. And this became she had this company she had as a partner. It was called June Rose Catering. And uh, let her let's hear a little bit about how how it all started for her with actually touring catering. I saw a niche on that first warp tour that we did not have good food backstage. We actually were, you know, kind of left out. Like we I was thinking to myself, like, here's these artists. Why are we not getting better food? Like isn't the fruits of their labor that we're here? Why are we not serving them something like at least healthy, not a stale bagel or dried chicken? Like it was bad, you know, cereal it was, boxes. Uh, it was, yeah, it was uh, the Warp Tour weight loss program. The problem. <laughs> <So>. yeah. <laughs> that 1999 tour was such a learning curveball. First of all, we had an all girls kitchen and really understood. Staff. We had like nine people. We and for the first year, that was and no locals. So we were doing everything, doing the dishes. And our motto was, you know, we don't have to do a big variety. And you actually kind of talked to us about that. But what we do need to do, it has to be good. So we had to make our own homemade ha salad dressings. Or we used to make those pizzas on the grill. And everything we did was good. But. Um, we had a lot of help from all the bands on that first year in 1999. Yeah, and there's not many tours that you would ever be involved in where the bands yeah. would actually no. come in and yeah. help out. Like you know? Jack from TSOL used to clock in everyone. Back then, we had like a, a punch hole and a, a card, and you would get a punch hole for each meal that you ate. And you would do so many, your hand would actually be like frozen, like 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 the punch hole, like holding a punch right. hole. Like it was horrible. So Jack would come in and in his kill and stand at the front of the line and check everyone in. We would have like the bouncing souls peeling potatoes for us or helping washing dishes. Um, we had the black IPs lending us their like toaster and their blender from their bus. Like <laughs> it was definitely uh, like a really group effort to make us succeed, you know? That is so cool. I would go to a concert if I knew that I could hang out in a food line with the headliners of the con. 
does that even has that happened anywhere? How do you get well, the bands? It was to interesting. It's, it was the evolution of the community of Warp Tour, um, and I always was about kind of even those 12, 13 years I was doing shows. You know, how do you engage everyone so they recognize that the other person is as important to the process as they were? You know, some people would say, you know, it's true. You you look at the headliner band or everything, but every component of touring, you know, is important, and. I think people recognize she's out there trying and she's out there in the same elements they were every day. It wasn't like you come into a venue, there's a caterer, they go home at night, you go. These people were traveling. Like they. Yeah, it was gypsies. You know, they were, it was live and die by. I think the know, truth of it, though, is that you're kind of a smart promoter where you got your bands to help out with well, the food. Come yeah, on, yeah. that's brilliant. Well, you know, they got props. You know, I definitely recognize, and we'll talk about later about set times and different things like that. But, you know, you, you definitely oh, got... so you got props. So, like, if you helped out, you got you know, good set. Not officially, but, you know, <laughs> through time, you, you know, people got... Rec- Brilliant. People got recognized that supported the community. How cool is that? But, you know, I I always hear stories about the tour and how it really was a traveling band of gypsies and everybody had to help out. So I, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I think that was a common thread. You know, there was sure. many times, you know, if I was going by and the guy was out there sweating at 125 degrees, just cooking chicken chicken breasts were like big. I said, then, you know, you stop in and help them out. Right. And it's, it's part of, you know, a, a technique of, of working. You know, if, if a boss can jump in and help and not, you know, you'll get the respect of the people around you, sure. you know, and that was always my thing. I, I came from those places of doing everything. So for me, it was just kind of natural. If, if someone needed help pushing a case across the parking lot, if someone needed, you know, was having struggling with something, just run over, help them a little bit. Someone needed to tie down their tent. People would recognize that. And, I, and that's you, why you see Jeff Bezos on the Amazon working line all the time. He's there boxing stuff up. I can see that. To understand. Yeah, I'm sure Jeff's <laughs> over there. Wow. No. I, know no. What, I got the one box that was packed <laughs> upside down. I think I got his stuff. So she had June Rose catering and with her friend that was locally. And then they worked together. And then Shelly got broke off and started Tada Catering. I started Tada Catering in 2000 and went out on tour with those mobile kitchens. And then I think by like 2002, we built my own kitchen. We had enough money. Chris Nord did it. And we built a kitchen that really kind of allowed Warp Tour to kind of evolve into like a friggin' beast. Like a, a couple years in a row, we were feeding a thousand people backstage per meal. Warp Tour is my baby. You know, I really uh, teeth on it, you know, got my baby teeth out and my big choppers on with Warp Tour. It was a, it was a great way to learn um, how to do really good food that had integrity in a parking lot anywhere you put me. Like sometimes I'd be in a dirt field. I'm like, Kevin, this is not okay. I can't barbecue in a dirt field. It's against health. <laughs> like it was crazy. And, um, you know, working with Warp Tour and growing with Warp Tour and being able to uh, feed people in such a short time, like we would have, I mean, you know, 21 day runs and we'd wake up at 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 5 a.m., whatever the call was, and have like a continental breakfast go in, make your own egg station, go into a full-fledged lunch, always trying to be, you know, feeding all the different dietary to then closing down and then feeding a, a dinner. And we would order 
like $10,000 worth of food, paper goods, drinks, whatever we needed. It was, it was a massive amount, pallets and pallets and pallets of stuff from fresh fruit to meats, like one serving of mashed potatoes, we would need 350 pounds of potatoes. That 350 pounds, that's like two human beings worth of potatoes. And then the butter and the cream. So to carry this food, it was a, it was a big undertaking. Wow, that's a lot of people. Now, back then, this is like 1998, 99, when she says she built her own kitchen, we're talking about like what food trucks we imagine are today? Well, it was, it was bigger than a food truck. It was a semi-truck. Oh, wow. It was a semi-truck. Well, for a thousand people, it better have been a she, day. And she mentioned Chris Knorr, which I want to thank. I'm going to thank people during the show. Uh, Chris was an unsung hero of, of Warp Tour because he was a truck driver and, and worked on many other tours and right. things. But he saw that we needed something like this because we were you know, working out of trailers. We were trying to make everything work. And he said, hey, I'm going to be, I think I have an idea on how to design and build this thing. Wow. So this was a custom design of someone who was on the tour knowing what the needs were. The needs were. And this came out, a lot of things came out of out of this tour. And we'll talk about some of those late in later episodes, especially transportation and things. A lot of stuff was developed out there. And, you know, one of the things was is trying to keep track of people eating. And Shelly developed a system that was the barcode system. Do you remember we really had to, like, figure out how it could even be possible? Like, there was a couple key factors that made it happen. And learning and growing was the barcodes. The barcodes. Yeah, we were we, the first tour ever to assign a barcode to a person, ever, anywhere. And we had that, yeah, like, but, crazy genius. Uh, I hired this kid from Austin, Texas, who was uh, either going to be a a independent wealthy billionaire coming up with software or run away with a rock and roll band. So he kind of <laughs> did both. He started off with us and then he, he developed that software where it was a barcode. It could tell you what band you were in, uh, what you did for the band, what your meal was and how long you were on a tour all in a barcode. And we had that little computer system that would help us. So that helped us a lot. That was a key factor. And then another key factor was um, getting people to help us because we would have to schlep so much gear from A to B. So you came up with the baby bands, getting baby bands to help us carry our gear and uh, set it up and have it up on time and then back onto the bus trailer. Okay, two things. The baby bands, really. They weren't babies. It wasn't child labor laws. Chip in and help. And then two, the kid that she had help, it's amazing. You probably didn't get any money for this either. That was probably Mark Zuckerberg, where he well, got the idea of Facebook on the Warp Tour, and you got no money for that either, right? I know that Robert did pretty well in the software business, so <laughs> I, I know he did pretty well out there. And, and, who, who is it? Who developed? That was Robert, and he was the guy that was super, super smart, but... You know, you never know who's going to want to end up on the road. And he ended up out there, and he saw and he saw something that needed to be solved. Right. Because we used to have to write it up. They used to have sheets of paper and have to cross your name off, and you're trying to go through an alphabetical order. Yeah, it makes sense. I'm sure people are still using it today. Uh, on absolutely. Um, there was a part of also of this that was was really interesting because we were trying to be an early eco-friendly tour. Mm-hmm. So there was a time that we we said we you know we're using all this plastic utensils. 
you know, we were, you know, you're, because washing silverware, because unfortunately people throw silverware away. Have you ever noticed at your parties, like you put out nice silverware and it still ends up in the trash? Like it's just people's. So <laughs> No, not at my parties, Kevin. I don't know what kind of riffraff you have coming around your house, but not at my yeah, party. Of course, <laughs> of course. But, so, you know, you, you lose a lot of stuff like that. So we were, they were using plastic and I said, there has to be an option. And this is like when some of the biodegradable forks start coming out or some of these things made right. out of cornstarch no, or you've potatoes. No, of course, you've always been environmentally so, conscious, so but that's a big part of it. One of the things Shelly did was we tracked Cisco uh, Cisco, the large institutional food company, uh, to we help them integrate this into their catalog. We even like got uh, like earth friendly um, paper goods before everyone was doing that across the United States. They were using styrofoam. We really pushed big companies to carry like earth friendly stuff. As we got to this point, Tony, where you know, when you're touring with people, you know, have 12 bunks in a bus. Right. And I think we'd have spun off at a couple catering people travel with other. We were, we were traveling with somewhere between 13 and 14. They would hire some locals, but Shelly liked a variety of food, even though she says I kept the limited number. There was, you know, there were so many choices of food out there. It started out that we were, we were just having good food. Right. Then of course you wanted to spin into vegetarian. Um, and she started with vegetarian options. And then she, all of a sudden, we're traveling with a brilliant vegan chef that was cooking vegan meals. And then it, I finally had to draw the line because at one point, uh, towards the end of the tour, I think like 2017, was just I was kind of frustrated and over it all, all, all around at that point, just for many reasons. And people go, what are the 25 reasons you ended warped? And normally they go, he wasn't making money. I go, no, there was money. And this is one of the 24 other, the main reasons was I'm standing there one day and a band member of a band. And, and at that point, to be honest, Tony, there were so many people on that tour and they were younger. I wasn't traveling with my friends anymore. They were like kids out on the road. I was like, they're mentor- kids in the rock uh, and roll music. I was like, get off my lawn. I was like, they're meant. I was like, they're mentor <laughs> or disciplinarian. That's pretty much my role out there. <laughs> and this guy walks up to me and he's like, Hey man, Hey man, where's the gluten menu? And I go, Whoa, uh... I go gluten menu. And and I look at him and I said, where did you hear the, like gluten-free menu? You know, it's like we've got vegetarian, we've got vegan, we've got two forms of protein every day at every meal. And he said, oh yeah, it's in my contract. I said, I'd like to see a copy of that contract because I'm pretty sure gluten-free paper, paper's gluten-free. I'm going to make you fucking eat that contract, okay? <laughs> because I was so pissed and... Uh, <laughs> And we had to draw the line at that point. I was like, are you kidding me? We've gotten to the like gluten-free menu. Like, isn't like grass gluten-free? Or, but I asked him if the contract would be, and I was going to feed it to him that afternoon. But, you know, one of the cool things that evolved, because you needed, you know, you couldn't have all these people like digging into food. There was still... Look, there's got to be a line that you draw on the sand. And ultimately, your responsibility is to put on a good show. And you got to feed people. But right. no, I get it. The so, frustration. But we'd like, she wanted to keep everything clean. And we had portions to give out. You couldn't uh -huh. just let people, you know, because people will tend to overfill a plate. They always do. We were trying not to throw away food. So, you know, if we ended up with extra food at the end of the night, we always gave it to a charity, rock and wrap it up, or someone would take sure. it. Or there was always someone to eat the food. Right on. And, but one of the things that evolved was, at each meal, one of the people that my people that worked for me would go out and recruit 12 to 13 people, fans from the audience that would like to serve a meal to the bands, their favorite bands. Okay. So, so that, that concept 
Like, if I could go and serve a meal to one of my favorite bands just to volunteer and help out, I'm down. That's so much fun. Did they get to eat with them, too? I mean— Well, they would give us something to eat, but they, the, the cool thing is they were always got to pick a band that they wanted to go watch from the side of the stage. Oh, that's awesome. But this really evolved into something else. We had so many bands help out, but the as catering grew, like every little thing needed to be served. And we would do not just a vegan entree, we would do a meat eater entree, or we would do a vegetarian entree. And then each one of them had a butter and, a, and it got to the point where it wasn't just a band helping out. And every band from every level, the headliners to the baby bands, we had every single band help out. We started getting kids and it was like a big mentoring thing. We started getting kids back there. We'd give them a little spiel, like you volunteer and you're going to not only serve alongside some of your favorite bands you're here to see, you're going to see all the bands come through catering to get their food. I'd walk backstage sometimes and you said kids, but there was also some other oh, people that moms, sometimes would be the back. the parents. Yeah, we would get like uh, parents and um, kids alike to come volunteer. But Kevin, what was so crazy about that? We would have the repeat customers year after year. So then you get to these kids that say, I want to do this every year. So you go to Chicago and you get the same kids and the same moms or the same dads. And they're like, I love it. This is the favorite part of Warp Tour. And they'd be working and catering, not just their little shift to volunteer, but they'd want to hang out and catering for hours. You know, it was just a, it was a really uh, super cool thing for some people. So that would go from city to city too, right? Well, they, the kids wouldn't travel from city to city with us. No, but, about... but from one Chicago, there would be a whole different new kids yeah. that could experience In this. Indianapolis. And then it really kind of evolved into this thing where there was parents that came to the show. And now the parents could either maybe go to the reverse daycare center or they might walk around and see the bands. But Shelly integrated a lot of these, a lot of, it became like, Warp moms and dads that would come and help in catering all oh, day. That's awesome. And I'll I'll never like there was a a, a a mother and daughter that would come and I think it was in St. Louis that I don't even think they went to the show. They just came down <laughs> to help. They just and they were I'd go in there and they're just washing dishes and 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 things just being part of the crew that yeah. day where people don't people always wonder what a day backstage I, I is like. I wonder if that is even a possibility today to legally do something like that. If there's well, something it was of legally possible back then <laughs> didn't really check You're with anyone wild man no we just you know it was it was safe we didn't give them sharp objects yeah. you know it was they were they were given a spatula and said you know give someone a scoop of peas or yeah, carrots awesome. don't give them both give them one. one so they hand one 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 and i'll bet that made things more efficient too i mean you had a lot of people to feed we've been talking a lot about food tony but it's now time for the great food fight the great food fight why kevin what could you possibly mean well, this this happened on one of those days off we want to talk about that I was always trying to do something nice to people. And usually my production crew. I mean, this is when the story gets much better. You were trying to do something really nice, actually fantastic, something my boss, I've had some bosses in my life do something really cool for me in my past, but this is where it gets weird. So this is where I'd like to bring in, you know, two people that were integral a part of this fight even though one will deny it he was just an innocent victim mm -hmm. um let's hear from eileen groby well it was 1999 and it was my first year working for you full-time um i had worked for you we'd created the bernie ball stage and all that or you know when i was at ascap but this was my first year working for you i was so excited and i really wanted to plan an amazing day off for everybody 
that we were going to be in Oregon on the Rogue River. And so I worked really hard. I researched like, all right, what, what are we going to do? We're going to river raft. We're going to have dinner. Um, so I you know, worked with a, a travel company and, and booked us all these rafts and, and a really nice dinner um, at this restaurant on the, on the river. We had about half of the restaurant. So this is, this is in lieu of you saying, okay, guys, we're working hard. We're gypsies. Everybody's serving food. Everybody's pitching in. But you did. You got like all these rafts for these kids to get on the river and go have lunch or something, well, right? Yeah. So it was kind of this this thing where it was like you could just go get a hotel room. A lot of times on tours, they'll get you a hotel room and so and buy a mall. Right. That was my let's get go to the mall. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't go to the mall at home. So my motto was let's try let's to make get, it normal. Let's try to normal. like you're normal. You work really hard on all these people, and it's summertime. So let's find an activity for everyone. So not only did we have some rafts early in the day. But these were actually jet boats, like oh, big on the Rogue River. No, big 60-person boats. Oh, wow. That, like, got airborne, spun 360s, Ugh. and it's super fun in the rapids of, of the Rogue River. That was a good time. It was expensive, it sounds like. Yeah, I was spending some money, and, and I got the bright idea to invite a few bands. So, you know, I had invited Ice-T to come because he was traveling with us, of course. But I invited Pennywise with us. And people have to realize at that point, I had the freestyle motocross team that I was working with. I called them the Flying Diablos. Right, right. They were more like the Flying Assholes. They're, they're they were, really good. They were kind of like the Flying Assholes at that <laughs> point, but it was the Flying Diablos, Diablos were that group. Uh-huh. Um, went on to be like amazing people. Carrie Hart. Take the good with the bad. Kay. Brian Deegan, Carrie Hart, Larry Link, like household names within the world of freestyle motocross. Right. And so we, the concept was that, you know, we would, we would go up the river We'd go under this giant aluminum pavilion, like a big picnic. You're out in nature. Yeah, it's nice. And you lined up, and you got all your food, and they put, like, the ribs or chicken or whatever you wanted, and then it was, like, family style, like beans and mashed potatoes and salads and pitchers of beer and wine at the table. So you think that it would all go, like, a nice evening. However, if you don't know Fletcher, you have to to picture a guy that, like, you know— Chewbacca and Jabba the Hutt, like Chewbacca. He says bigger than Chewbacca. So picture Star Wars. Right. And average person's Luke Skywalker. Right. And then there's Chewbacca. He's a big guy. I mean, everything about Fletcher's big. Like, I'm 6'1". Whenever I'm with Fletcher, it's like tiny. Like, I, I feel like I fit in the so palm would, of his so hand. So would you say he's a big and sort of an intimidating guy if you were to oh, meet him first yeah, oh, time? Oh, yeah. Fletcher could be quite intimidating. Um, Probably not to El Diablo, though. Well, you know, it was... He's, he's great. I mean, you know what? It's like we 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 just like we had a lovely relationship, me and him. We went way back to the early gold into the Golden Voice days. Mm, yeah, and, cool. And uh, the way I met Fletcher was uh, we had a show down at the Shrine Auditorium, right? And Pennywise, it was their first big show. Right. And someone warned me. They said, you know, he's going to cause a little trouble. And I said, well, no, you know, <laughs> I'll have to deal. And when I got the writer for the band, that's the right, what, right, what right, comes through. It's like I, it was like we want ten cases of beer. I'm like, okay. well, the budget there doesn't leave for anything else. He says, fine. So I got them ten cases of beer, and we met that night because I told him that if he causes any trouble, I'm going to hit him. <laughs> and how, how big is this guy? I mean, he's like sick. I don't know. Fletcher's like six eight. I was six six eight, and sure Wait. enough. Pandemonium, pandemonium, pandemonium. Only second show, Kevin. I know, I'm getting Just my words right. Just the second show. 
pandemonium broke out at the show. I'm trying to use big words. <laughs> just instead of shit broke out at the show. Um, and I ran up and hit him. No. It didn't even flinch. He was just like, Did I, you I, really? I, I kept my word. But like in one fell swoop, though, it was one of my best drop kicks of everyone off the stage because one of his friends was running up to get into the melee. And I spun and I kicked the guy off the stairs. And it was so cool. Really? It was like one of those like, Total moments, like you just did but it. You really, you clock the guy. Like well, me, I would slap the well, shit him, out of him. You for clock sure, him, but and it you... bounces off. Like you just with Fletcher, it's like the guy's indestructible. Right. And, we'll, and we'll be talking more about his indestruction. Cool. But somehow, when you know, out of 120 people, someone's going to be in the middle of it. I'm sitting there. I think we stuck some beers in there as well, and we were at the same table as as the as the motocross guys, and they. Uh, they, I, I'm going to say that they that they started this food fight because <laughs> I think like maybe Hart or Linkloggle. It was like Hart, Linkloggle, Ronnie Feist, Sink Mars, Kenny Watson, that son of a bitch. <laughs> it was like a team leader, always yet, smart. Ass you had a you had a check there because you know we both know that. Those guys were wilder than most bands we've ever met. Yeah, that they were. <laughs> they 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 were on our fucking bus every goddamn day. Like they'd either be getting stoned or having a couple beers before they jumped, or in between jumps or after jumps. Like the Pennywise bus was, was where you stopped by for some rum and cokes and a, and a couple, you know, bong hits in the back lounge with Byron. Before they did backflips on their motorcycles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, yeah. Okay. Why not? I yeah, mean, okay. It enhances your it enhances your uh, skills. I heard, but uh, I mean, I'd rather be drunk or stoned doing that shit than sober because I'd be I'd be scared to death. Well, you know, it sounds like prison rules. It sounds like the bikers decided, let's find the biggest guy in the room and punch him straight in the face straight away. Yeah. And I'll bet that's what started the fight. Yeah, that's the one where you want to check. Like, was that legal that these guys would drink beers and, and smoke pot before they did, Fletcher before they jumped happened. off a motorcycle? And, and Fletcher, of course, the innocent, like, you know. The innocent, most biggest guy in the room immediately became the target. Yeah. Yeah, we're sitting there and I think a couple, like, you know, pieces of corn got tossed over at me. I think it, it might have been Link Loggle. Like, just like a couple little, like, warm-up tosses of you know, goofing around and 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 fucking uh, poking the bear, and like they, I think he knew what what would probably come of it, but he kept doing it, and I was like shaking my head and kind of, and I don't I don't think we had eaten a quarter of our meal at this point, and everyone had just sat down, and it started pretty quickly, and then I was like, I think I got like one too many, maybe got a little lump of mashed potatoes or something tossed at me, and. And I and I remember Byron was pissed, boy. But I, I just remember picking up, I think, a handful of mashed potatoes or something, and just throwing it at the motocross in the motocross direction. I don't remember. Yeah, you were gone. Civilians are getting hammered, and like tough dads are getting up, wanting to fight us. <laughs> and, and like you know, any any yeah you know, guy that got up was like, "Hey, you motherfuckers!" They got a fucking you know corn on the cob to the head. I remember standing up, screaming like, "Oh my god!" I was horrified because. You know, I was the one that was in charge. I planned all of this. I was so horrified. Food, total food fight. People are hiding under tables. And Carrie Lee's yelling too. She was so mad. And I ran off to find, because they wouldn't listen to me. I, I ran off to find you. And I was like, Kevin, it's crazy. You have to come back. These guys have gone nuts. There's a huge food fight. You were like, oh my God. You came back, you start yelling, 
stop, just stop it. You guys, you have to stop. And then you were just so enraged with these, with these guys like, this is, I can't take you anywhere. I can't take you to any nice places. You guys are, you guys are just awful. I mean, you were just, it was, it was probably probably a little more uh, blatant words than that. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Maybe this is a family show. So I'm not. Yeah, no, it's so. At this point, I came like running up and, and, and we're trying to quell it. And as, as we started to say, you know, it's people started drifting out. Like it was like people saw me and were like, I better get out of here. I don't want to be left. Like, I don't want to be pinned on this. So people were like scurrying down to the boats, like out of the building and standing in the middle of this. because They, they didn't want to go to jail. Well, no, there was no jail involved. They were just they just didn't want to get pinned with it because me being mad at you probably was worth jail was probably the safe place at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so what ended up happening was it's like everyone scurries and it leaves this little group of people that were so into it. They didn't even like know I was there. Right. They were still just like mid mashed potatoes and scraping up stuff off the floor. And it was just, and then it was bad. It calmed down. And at that point, you know, there's a couple of varying opinions of how it went down. And then I'll, well, I'll tell you how it really went down. So let's hear <laughs> how it went down. They finally stopped and you really gave them all a talking to. I mean, it was all these, you know, little, they were basically little kids like, sorry, dad, sorry, sorry. We suck. We suck. And you remember you saying, these girls worked so hard to put this together for you and you just ruined it. And oh, sorry. I remember um, you coming back. And then I remember the walk of shame. Like, you know, it's, it's like dad has arrived. I mean, we're, we're pretty much the same age. He might be a year or two older than me, but like, it's always the, you're always the father figure in this situation. And I'm like the, the, the eight-year-old that's in trouble. And uh, we all are the walk of shame. And I remember like getting yelled at by you and Eileen and whoever, whoever else was there. Like Carrie the Lee was there. Was just... Like, like walking down that hill back to the boat. It was like, just head down, just tail between the legs. Like, fuck, we fucked up again. We ruined the whole day out. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I did not start that ship, but I definitely finished it. <laughs> but it was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was not. And the boat ride home. Oh my God. That was like, I, I hated the boat ride home. I mean, like it's the perfect, when do you get to have a food fight in a, in a place with 500 civilians are surrounding you. I mean, yeah, it basically had to happen so we can have this conversation now. And I mean, look, like food fights are shit is, is something that happens in, in a, a high school cafeteria, more like a grade school cafeteria, like movie in, in movies. But it ha- you know, we've been in some food fights growing up as kids. It happens at birthday parties and fuck, you know, whatever, like it, it happens. And, I guess it's like a testament in a way to how fucking immature we all were and how literally like the work tour was like a playground for kids that were into punk rock. And it's kind of awesome that we could have moments like that where we get to just be children. I mean, the, the fucking whole work tour was being children, <laughs> including you, the big boss, behaving like a child many times. At times, absolutely. And, you Those know, will all come up at some point, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you have to do your job, but like you were basically running a giant, uh, you know, daycare center for a bunch of drunk children, and uh, it's pretty awesome. I mean, that like that memory was just a fucking great memory. I mean, the walk of shame was not was not that fun, but uh, the, just having that you know that memory in my memory bank. Like I said, the warp tours contributed some of the best memories and, and summers of my life. Literally, like, I never went to summer camp. You know, we we weren't summer camp kids. So, like, the Warped Tour was, like, 
my summer camp. We get everyone back on the boats and I send the boats kind of like we're getting ready to load up and I look around and, you know, there's these kids all had summer jobs, and, right. you know, and, and I have always been leave the place better than you found it. And this one was going to be tricky to figure out because <laughs> like, you know, at a concert, we could do a cleanup. We right, could right. You know, leave something behind, some canned food to help with the community. But this one, so I looked at everyone and I, I looked for my tour accountant at that point. And I said, how much cash do you have on you? And he said, I have $10,000. I said, give it to me. And I walked up to the hostess or whoever the manager of that even I mean everyone was like 14 years old that ran the right, place too right, right. it was like it, it was it was like going to dinner in Salt Lake City the average age of the person waiting on you is like 12 you know it's <laughs> weird and but they all work hard and I'm like all right I 100% apologize you can get back to me if there's any broken damage or anything we need to fix you have our, a credit card but here's ten thousand dollars get out of here no I gave him ten you gave him ten grand I said ten thousand dollars Split the money amongst yourself to clean up because we. So, so one one of two things is happening here: either you're over generous and the most wonderful person on the planet, or they really fucked that place. Oh, no, it was it was guilt. There was there was <laughs> there was a lot of guilt there. There was like I can't believe warped her. That's my name, you know. And I had that many yeah. times. I go, there's bands when they're on their own. They they can take the heat. They can stay if they get in trouble. It's them. But it always That's came back at the warp tour. Oh so God. you know. So I gave them the money. They were all like, cool, food fight every Saturday. Like, you know, it was like, okay, we're good. And uh, so who, what, what were the bands that were there? Well, I mean, I, it was an assortment, but it, I didn't really have a lot of it. There was Ice-T, there was, there was, Ice Blink was, was there. there. Ice-T was with us traveling on the bus. And I knew that giving that money back, don't worry, Tony, I knew I could get it back, which I did. Sure. I was paying the motorcycle guys per diems and, and paying them to be on the road. I was paying Pennywise. You know, I just divvied it up and probably made an extra couple on the back end for right. my trouble. You know, I probably right. collected $12,000 in fines. Oh, I see. So it always worked that way. It's like, give me a 10000 <laughs> Are oh. they aware of that today? Well, <laughs> there, there, there's a couple of stories about that, you know. But for my trouble, my time in trouble, my day off got ruined, right? <laughs> so so the Warp Tour, like, sorted itself out a lot. It wasn't like, you know, we knew that event, eventually a band would impose a self-inflicted penance. Something that always had to be done after we did some some damage was to take care of all the girls that are running running the show. I don't remember exactly who was all running the show back in the, on that particular date, but we we always wound up buying chocolates, flowers, uh, Starbucks, or whatever whatever we could do. We'd we'd send a big care package and a little apology note uh, to the front office, you know, just to be like, hey, we're sorry, we fucked up again. So th this is not just in reference to the food fight. This oh no, it was, it was kind of this ongoing, <laughs> this ongoing thing. thing. And, and trust me, you know the whole women, the whole production office were were awesome women that worked for me. So like they knew how to play the guilt on these guys. Like it was just like they were like shunned. Like it was like if they put the shun word on someone or the shun look, like that just was infectious. So like you like people wouldn't even like there was no free rum and cokes on the. There was no takers for the rum and cokes mm -hmm. on the Pennywise bus for about a week. Yeah. You just didn't want to see them. You didn't want to be around them. But you know what? There was always, a, there was this thing. And, and one of the things I, I, I said, I, I always say was a mentor of mine was a guy named Ice-T. And I learned a lot about Ice-T. And this next part of it really kind of made me feel really good about the ending of all of this. Mm. We were sharing the bus with Ice-T and his crew that year. And we're all on the bus and you know, what, what Ice-T was actually chatting with us. And 
they come in the bus with flowers and and wine, like big things of gallo wine, big jugs and, and flowers and like a bath and body works, um, basket for us saying, you guys were so sorry. We suck. You rule. <laughs> and I remember ice tea going, what the hell is this going on? Metal magnolias. Yeah. <laughs> it really was like, Oh my God, you guys, you guys are not men. You're little boys. And we're sorry. We're sorry. And isn't it, I, I, it changed from jugs of gallo. Trust me to later on in the tour. I saw bottles of Vouve Clicquot being shot, dropped off. <laughs> you know, maybe people were making more money. They were touring. Or maybe their taste had grown. But back then, it was like a gallon jug of Gallo oh, that was got cool. you a long ways. But before we wrap this little segment up, I, I want to pull a couple comments off of our Facebook page yeah. because yeah, I yeah. did ask people to talk about food. And this one came from Michelle Ponce, who worked on the tour and, and, and for many years. She said, I remember that food fight. Out of all my memories, I remember you went to the bathroom probably five, seven minutes. Felt like an hour. The motocross dudes and Fletcher exchanged pie and mashed, mashed potatoes. Eva Lee's girl was across the table. Her chest gets hit with mashed potatoes. Ice-T tells me, hit the deck under the table. Carrie Lee is standing up trying to stop it, but it goes way out of hand when chairs go flying. And every word she says gets her blasted by another pot of food. <laughs> what a great memory. Always wanted to be in a food fight. And that got off my bucket list. Nice. I'm glad I was able to check something off your bucket list, <laughs> Michelle. And on another note, this was from Mary Borgino, who was actually... This was her first tour, and she was working for Steve Van Dorn and the Vans crew. Right, right. And they were all at this event. I was at the food fight. I remember we took rafts there. Ice-T and his crew had, had a huge water guns, and we're doing drive-bys on the way. When we got there, I think Fletcher and one of the motocross guys started the fight. Michelle Bonte, Nolte, Becky, Bati, Christy Van Doren, Batson, and I hid under the table. Because we knew if we participated, Steve would fire us. <laughs> So was Steve there? Uh, Steve was there. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was one of those things where I think it's it's like if we're a jury right now, because you might have to sit on a jury. Uh, who's probably guilty of starting this food fight? We know it was Fletcher, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it to the jury. All right. But on that note, you know, we, I, I did just mention, you know, a guy named Ice-T and he will be an ongoing theme of of this podcast, because I always say you have a few mentors out there and, and I don't know if he knows that, but he was a mentor of mine, but he was also a great mentor to Shelly. I would come and you know, talk to you or run up and down the bus and, and one time, and this is 1999, and uh, I walked on the bus and I was doing something, getting paperwork or getting money or doing something and Ice-T sat there and he said, mm-mm, Shelly Lynn the finest ass cater on the west side with the driest ass chicken. Oh, oh my God, what did he just say? Gee, can't mean it. He's like, girl. And so from that day on, I've never had dry chicken. <laughs> Thank you. That was like I wanted and done, was told once and made sure it never happened again. So that was a really funny we story. And do you remember we, like how he used to always say you got to pimp past it? Yeah, I got to pimp past it. There's a couple terms that he would say. You know, it's funny when I try to say that in class now as a professor at USC, sometimes I'll go pimp past it. That, you know, if there's a lot of clutter around you in life and you see something you have to get to, that's pimping past yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was uh, you just make it happen. It's, you know, you just got to make it happen. That actually became the motto 
into the catering when um, I brought Chef Mike on in the early 2000, the motto was make it happen. Like you just had to make it happen. Cannot serve food yeah. late. Yeah. So that's really what it was. And Shelly developed it, but it, she talks about a couple other things before uh, we go with her today. She talked a lot about her lasting relationships. And I think you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy this section. I keep in touch with so many people on that tour. Some you make soulmates on warp tour. Um, definitely make soulmates. Um, who's the band that had the jet on warp tour? Offspring. I'm having such a, a senior moment. I can't remember band's names anymore, but like Dexter and I still text. I mean, the guys, you know, from NoFX and I still text. Like Fat Mike will always be one of my best friends, no matter what. Like when you have those bonds, you're just going to have those bonds. You know, the Bad Religion guys, the um, so many bands, like, you know, the thing about Blink-182, like I'm like friends with them and uh, Travis used to have us like cater his like Thanksgiving. He had a TV show for a while and I did his like TV show uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas and um, the Hoppuses, Mark Hoppus, he has me do like private events at his house. You know, this is, these are like bonds that you will like always have you know Matt Skiba and I he comes to parties at my house there's you know there's so many people and so many stories that I have made true friendships with that will probably last for a lifetime Joan Jett oh my god love her so much she will always have the special place in my heart and our connection there's so many so many people and these are relationships that she's built over the years that I mean like she said, uh, soulmates, but her business is directly affected by these relationships from warp year over year. It's grown exponentially. She's doing really great. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, pre pandemic and I'm sure post pandemic, I mean, I, no one's going to stop, but I mean, she ended up picking up the Coachella festival. <laughs> uh, she's done festivals like Firefly at one point. But did you say Staples Center too? She does Staples Center. That's she does big the time, Forum. Man. Yeah. She does the Hollywood Bowl. She That's does great. the Greek. Uh, she does that uh, five points down in Irvine. And how much money are you getting out of this? None. You no, know, I. You know what? We have had some wonderful catered <laughs> I dinners kid. at our house. I kid. It's all about relationships, Tony. It's not it just about money. Why do you think I golf with you, Kevin? You know, absolutely. But it's it it's you know it it's one of those people that you know she definitely has led a warp life. It 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 wasn't there was no pathway for her. Literally, she just yeah, it's she, awesome. She flowed, she and identifying op opportunities, capitalizing on those opportunities in, in a positive way, and we're starting to hear that word, you know, hustle coming up, hustle. And I always say there's hustlers, and then there's hustlers. And the world I ran into was the actual hustlers, the people that went out and created opportunities for themselves and built businesses. And uh, well, I could tell she was a hustler in that that moment in the interview. And in her life, when she realized coming off a of promotion and, you know, buying strings at Guitar Center, she had only to find a bagel backstage. And she says, wait a minute, I can do way better than this. And that's what, what it said it for me. Sometimes it just starts with a stale bagel. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that being, talking about stale bagels, uh, our next guest, um, uh, Robert Aronoff, 
is an interesting person because he is a fan. And I always, I want to bring people on that do good. And so a lot of times that'll be a nonprofit or something. But I was really intrigued by Robert's story. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm, I've always been kind of a food guy as well. Uh, I take a lot of pride in the, the, the cooking that I do. Uh, and I asked them about, you know, I asked them, I said, have you, have you had any good Texas barbecue? And they were quite honest and said, we haven't eaten anything Oof. but Taco Bell for two months. And I said, come on. I, I, so I took them out the next day. They had a day off. I took them out the next day for some barbecue. And it started a conversation. And the next time they were in town, um, you know, they kept in contact with me. And I had them and other bands over. And it just kind of expanded over time where, you know, I would bring food out to the venues. Uh, I would set up a big tent um, behind their uh, buses and vans at Warp Tour. Uh, and I would bring enough food to feed, to feed as many as I could all day long. And um, it, after a while, I started getting contacted by a couple of bands that I didn't even know that, you know, that uh, I, I mean, obviously had heard of them, but I had no connection to them. Um, and I've had, I've had a good dozen bands over my house to give them a place to sleep, you know, to let them see something other than a parking lot, um, to give them a chance to shower and do laundry. Uh, and I think those, I think those four things are like the big things for them. Uh, a place to sleep, a place to do laundry, uh, a, a good meal, and then just not seeing a parking lot. This is one of the loves of my life. Um, you know, I've made, um, I've made what I consider to be lifelong friends, friends with some of these bands. Um, I, I, and, and, you know, the thing about this situation is, you know, uh, there, there will be a band that I've become close with that's been in my house a number of times and they'll have friends in a new and upcoming band and they'll contact me and say, Hey, we've got our friends in this other band. They're just starting out. They're coming through Dallas. They could use a place to stay they kind of know that it's automatically going to be a yes from me. And I'm going to look after these younger bands. Yeah. It's as simple as that sometimes for people on the road. You know, there was a couple of things he pointed out during that clip was, you know, that they only ate Taco Bell. You know, the one cool thing that Taco Bell was doing was they had identified that bands needed food. So they, right. so that when a band, you know, they made relationships with record labels and agents and, and things. And when a band went on the road, you'd get a stack of like $5 coupons for Taco Bell. Right. Um, I don't think Taco Bell thought it was there to replace the food totally. Right. Uh, because you would expect that in a pinch, you can, you can do Taco Bell. Taco Bell's Fine, great. It's great. You know, but, but a lot of times these bands, every now, day. <laughs> you know, when you go play in a club, I, I hear that, you know, I used to work in the clubs and they used to, we'd get a buyout for food. They'd give us, we'd get, take a per right. diem and we'd go uh -huh. eat. Well, that buyout in many clubs has actually gone down or equal to what we used to get in 19, like 83. So that dollar doesn't go even close to no what we way. were able to buy. We could hmm. buy a, a meal for 10 bucks. We could have, a, eat maybe two meals off mm -hmm. of 10 bucks. You know, you can't get a sandwich for 10 bucks now. So, so bands, you know, staying healthy, we talked about it, and eating on the food. So it, it took people like Robert, like, identified something and what he was willing to do um, to, to kind of give back to the community. One of the things that I've learned from doing this is that when you start feeding large numbers of people, especially in those communities, in those music communities, you're going to come across some dietary restrictions, right? Oh, no gluten. So, so early on, I'm bringing up, you know, beef ribs and brisket and pulled pork. And then all of a sudden I'm realizing there's some really amazing people that I admire 
and they're really not able to eat much. So it's forced me to kind of expand my cooking range. And, you know, I've spent, um, you know, I've spent time developing recipes that I could do on a large scale for vegetarian. Um, you know, I do, I do a barbecue cauliflower that I did for, um, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, Travis of, of Mayday Parade. Um, I, you know, I developed a, um, uh, a beet salad for some of the folks that I know that, uh, tour with Coheed and Cambria. And, um, so, I mean, that's, that's one of those things that's just kind of grown on me is that I've realized I got to do more than what I, what I knew in order to satisfy everybody in the community. Honestly, I, I wonder if he's been thrown out of Texas for that, <laughs> actually, you know, because, you know, you would expect nothing else. You know, if anyone remembers anything, you'd ever go to South by Southwest and be so excited for the barbecues. But after four days, you were like, you know. You know, I think I think it's a, a chore listening to the first Warped and as you grow with the tour year over year and how important it was for you to make sure that your crew and the bands and all of that were healthy and fed well. I mean, it, it's an important thing, but it's it's a second thought for a lot of people that come to these shows. And when you think about it, food and water is probably a primary, right? Absolutely. And we'll be, be exploring water in general. Just I think the subject of water as one part of episode will be quite interesting oh, cool. on, on how that evolved. Well, I think, uh, you know, you know, I want to thank, you know, everyone who came on the yeah, show Yeah, let's today. wrap it up, Kevin. Yeah, I think it's about time. Uh, <laughs> That's your segue. About time to, to cut out of here and uh, look forward to uh, episode uh, three. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode. Thank you for all the comments so far. Share your craziest warp stories with us on our socials. Stream My Warp Life podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to know when new episodes are released every other Monday. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at My Warp Life. If you want to hear all of the stories that couldn't fit in the episode, make sure to follow us on Patreon at My Warp Life. Also, you can text us. Text questions, comments, and stories to 818-863-6445. That's 818-863-6445. All of these links are available in the description and on our website, mywarpedlife.squarespace.com. If you have great photos or any memorabilia, please post it on our website and tag us at mywarpedlife to see your photos and comments featured in an episode. Thank you to my co-host, Tony Arathia and my producers, Xavier Bradley and Vivian Wang. Original music by Diego Aratia. Art by Carly Webster and Sierra Lyman. Social media by Beata Shemtov. And extra special thank you to my inspirations, Sabrine and Fran Lyman. Now play us out of here, Diego. Does I have a collar on it or no collar? No collar. Is this your Carlos? Cat? Yeah, that's Carlos. <laughs> it's just a stray in my lap.